Hello and welcome to the Bundaberg Now podcast, brought to you by the Bundaberg Regional Council. This podcast is all about showcasing news, events and people in our beautiful region. I'm your host, Genevieve Lyons, and today on the show we find out what it takes to have a conversation with the International Space Station. We also hear about the CBD piano being available for use and a bit of history about Merv Allen, who's a frequent player. And we get the inside scoop on Bundaberg's newest attraction, an escape room. But first, here's a quick news recap from this week's top stories. Bundaberg Regional Council has released a draft of its leading-edge road investment strategy, which will help prioritise works across its 3,000-kilometre network. The draft strategy is now open for community consultation until Friday, April 16. The gas that naturally occurs in some local landfills could now be turned into power, as Council has now gone out to tender for landfill gas management for the supply, installation, operation and monitoring of a gas collection network. Applicants are asked to identify the viability of gas flaring facilities used for power generation. The Bundaberg Recreational Precinct upgrade is now well underway. It's one of a number of council projects in the region funded with help from the State Government Works for Queensland program, helping to fast-track local projects and create local jobs. Here's Councillor Vince Haberman with more. We were always very determined for it to happen, but uh, for it to be actually up and running now probably would not have happened yet without the, uh, the support of State Government. So it's another great example of uh, different levels of government working together for the benefit of our community. And the region's rich multicultural heritage will be celebrated at the Windmill Cafe in Bagara from 10am this Saturday. The event will feature Filipino singer Annalyn Moriarty, traditional Chinese stringed instruments played by Shalom College students, and a tea ceremony performed by Trevor Green. And that's the weekly news wrap. In last week's podcast, we mentioned Avoca State School students were set to make contact with the International Space Station. David Neby and the team at the Bundaberg Amateur Radio Club were instrumental in linking these students with Colonel Michael S. Hopkins, a NASA astronaut based on the International Space Station. David had a chat with Bundaberg Now about what went into the technical side of the radio link and how the project began. David, how was the Radio Club involved in Avoca uh, State School getting the opportunity to talk to the astronauts? Um, what happened was um, we, uh, we contacted the school to ask them if they'd be interested in um, hosting a contact with the International Space Station um, and the, the, uh, the principal, Michael Kiss, was just um, in, immediately said, yes, we'd love to get involved. Um, so it was a, a process of, uh, of actually finding a school that was willing to host the event and then approach the school to see, you know, um, and then, um, and then all the, uh, all the, all, everything followed after that. It was actually just, um, I, I think I read an article somewhere about the contact with the space station um, and I thought that'd be a great project for the radio club. Um, and that's, yeah, that's where we initially started the, uh, the whole process. And, and then when I made contact with NASA, um, they put me through to uh, um, uh, uh, Shane Lind, uh, who helps coordinate contacts in Australia to the space station. So, and then, of course, he guided us through the entire process. Uh, our, our role, as far as the, uh, the school is con- was concerned, was, was to set up all the equipment, the 
radio gear, the antenna system, um, and that was our our role was more of a technical role uh, to make sure all the equipment equipment was ready and was going to operate on the on the night of the contact. And then the school looked after their side of the of the uh, project, such as um, getting the kids, uh, uh, you know, selecting the kids that were going to be able to talk and and putting together the questions. and And they they did an incredible job of um, of organising the whole event for the school. Um, and uh, and of course the radio club we, we were we were excited of course as well and uh, yeah so it was, it was a team effort first of all we needed to set up a, a tracking system uh, to be able to track the the uh, station as it passed over um, Bundaberg and so the equipment uh, we had to build a lot of the equipment ourselves like we had to construct the antenna systems and so on and and just coordinate all the radio equipment on the right frequencies and there was a lot of interesting stuff going on in the uh, tech, technically uh, in the background to make it happen um, it was it was um, it, it was very um, yeah it was a big project to bring it all together the, the, as well so yes well, at the school, the kids did several um, uh, practice sessions, standing up and going up to the microphone and asking their questions and then moving on to the next student to ask their questions and so on. Um, the preparation, well, like we, we had to construct the antenna system, uh, the uh, tune up all the radio gear. I mean, we were uh, tracking the satellite via the internet so we knew precisely at what angle and what elevation it was at as it passed over. Um, so technically it was a lot of, lot of um, homework needed to be done. Um, but the school itself, the, you know, the questions the kids were asking, and and so one of the other technical challenges was the PA system in the in the hall there for the kids, so everyone could hear what was going on. Um, so there, there was a lot a lot of uh, different aspects to the project um, that, that made it happen. And also, I'd have to um, mention that um, ARIS, which is the amateur radio on the ISS organisation, they have an international organisation, and the the person who helped coordinate it all for us was Shane Lind up at Mackay and Shane was uh, got he was our mentor and guided us through the process as well and he worked in with the school as well so I'd have to say uh, I'm very very grateful to Aris and especially to um, to Shane Lind who uh, helped us why why is it such a small window of opportunity well the um, the space station orbits uh, Earth every 90 minutes and it changes its path every time it goes over. So basically from start to finish I think we had about 11 minutes so all the kids had to get their questions in and, and, and so on but we had that one window of about 11 minutes as it was passing over Bundaberg. So yeah I mean yeah so <laughs> it was scary. <laughs> and um what was the feeling when you heard the astronauts come through? Oh, it was a wonderful feeling, that's for sure. It was it was one of the... It'd have to be up there with one of the most exciting uh, things I've ever been involved with, and I think that that energy and that excitement was uh, in the entire um, audience and all the kids and all the people in the radio club and, and the teachers and, uh, and the principal and, and, yeah, parents, you name it. They were all... Everyone was... At the, at the end of the contact, we there was just a feeling of, euphoria um, that we'd achieved it yet. Bundaberg local Molly Dawson was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma while on her gap year and went through eight months of chemotherapy and radiation treatment. She was put into remission a few weeks before she finished her treatment, but now says that her cancer experience ignited a passion for encouraging young people to get to know their bodies and be cancer aware. Molly is now the face of Relay for Life 2021 and she spoke to us about her journey. 
Um, Cancer Council has always been really important to me through high school. It was a, we did Relay for Life events while I was a student and now continuing on being the face of Relay. It's really close to my heart, especially now being involved in such a unique way. There's so many things that you wish people knew about cancer because it's such a unique disease and everyone's story is different. So it's probably just realising that cancer is continuing and once you finish treatment or you're in remission, it doesn't just stop. It's a part of your life forever. You're forever going to be affected by cancer, good or bad. So it's just remembering that it's a forever disease. It doesn't just stop. I was diagnosed in 2019 when I was just 17 years old and I just finished school, got a job at, at my um, previous school and it was quite a shock. I didn't really know what to think or what to feel um, and I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma which is a form of blood cancer and it's actually pretty common in young females so just always got to be aware of those lumps and bumps around your neck. I've just had a random lump just pop up near my collarbone and got it checked and then here I am two years later. Um, I joined up with Cancer Council after my treatment actually because during my treatment it was kind of a whirlwind. I didn't really connect with that many organisations or charities but afterwards I found myself with the Cancer Council and it was they've made me feel at home and like there's a community that's supporting me all the time. This journey has inspired me to help others because what like why else why not because so many people are affected by this disease and especially young people there's so much help for people with cancer but there's a kind of a gap for the kids who are like 15 to 18 19 and it's really important for me to create awareness and make sure that we are looking after our young people. So being the face of Relay involves, of, of course, all of this media, um, which is, again, promoting awareness and becoming someone that people can hopefully look up to and maybe inspire them to either get involved or donate or just think about cancer a little bit more. Obviously, it's not the most fun topic to think about or talk about, but it's really important that it's not taboo and people realise what actually goes on. It's so exciting being the face of Real Life Life again in 2021 um, because it is a much larger event with the Fraser Coast joining, so that's going to be really exciting and I can't wait to see how it goes. Intrigue, excitement and plenty of surprises are just behind the doors of Escape Grid, which opened to the public last week. Located on Mary Street in Bundaberg East, Escape Grid specialises in immersive and interactive escape games. Owner Beth Scott spoke to Bundaberg Now's Ashley Clark about opening their doors to the community. Tell me a little bit about Escape Grid and how it all came about for you. Well, I had the idea to do it in March 2018, so here we are three years later. (laughs) And when I understood what escape rooms were, Mm. I thought what an amazing uh, thing to have here in Bundaberg. You know, what an amazing... Um, entertainment and activity, uh, you know, for our city. So, um, yeah, so I set about putting plans to it way back then. Amazing. And so you're opening up on Saturday. What can people expect? What can people expect? Well, lots of intrigue, lots of excitement, lots of surprises. (laughs) So tell me a little bit about how it works. How many rooms do you have and what do people have to do when they get here and get into the rooms okay we have three rooms we're opening with two and our third room should be open in two or three weeks time 
uh, people come in and we brief them. Uh, we immerse them in the story of the game that they've chosen to be a part of and get them in role and then they, the game master takes them to the room. And then they have one hour, one hour to go through the game. And so there's lots of, like I said before, lots of surprises. So they have to find things and they have to problem solve. They have to work out clues and unravel riddles and all that sort of thing. Perfect. And is there a specific age group or is this for all ages? Well, depending on the complexity of the story, uh, one of our games, Where's Billy, is open for everybody. So all ages for that one. Um, our gold mine one is open from age 12 up and the other one which isn't open yet will be from age 18 up. Perfect. And um, what sort of group bookings do you sort of hope people will take on? Is it a group booking thing? Or yes, yes. It's not really where you would come on your own. Um, so at least two people, but four or five people is a great number and eight people is the maximum in all of our games. Um, yes, so it, it's a wonderful team-building activity. You know, you just feed off each other. Everyone uses their own skills and, and abilities to, to approach different problems, and everyone has something different to contribute to it. Merv Allen was once a regular performer on the CBD piano to the delight of onlookers. With COVID-19 restrictions easing, he's excited to be back and playing once again. Look, we're um, here with the community piano. Tell me why you think the community piano is an important initiative. When the original community piano arrived here, uh, I don't know, I don't remember exactly when, but I came up and started playing it. And I was absolutely astounded at the number of people who went out of their way to come and mention how pleasant it was to hear the piano being played in the city area. Um, on the net, I've been on sites where there's pianos in the London underground, and, and yeah, uh, and that's, that's what gave me hope that eventually we could get a piano here permanently. And in fact, uh, I found this piano uh, and mentioned it to Rebecca and council saw fit to buy it. And it's been here ever since. Unfortunately, because of the COVID situation, it had to be locked. So yeah, I'm more than happy now that the piano is being unlocked and uh, I'm chairman, I suppose you might like to say, of a group on Facebook, which is the community piano. And uh, we've got, uh, I think, something like 20 members now who support me in anything that I want to, to do with the piano and uh, a lot of them are, are looking forward to coming and playing it as well. Uh, I've spoken to a few people in the last couple of weeks uh, and wanting to know when the piano was going to be opened and 
up until, what, two days ago, I couldn't tell them. But uh, I posted on Facebook uh, within the Community Piano group that it's being unlocked today, and I actually thought there might be a couple of them turn up, but so far, uh, I haven't recognised any of them, so. So what does it mean to you personally to see the piano back? I, I don't read music. I play by ear. If I hear a tune uh, within a reasonable period of time, usually I can play it. Not the way it's written, but most people understand what I'm playing. Uh, I'm riddled with arthritis, and what's the name, the constant finger drills on the piano uh, help me with my arthritis, and my GP tells me that while ever I can do what I do on the piano, uh, is helping me to stave off the chances of getting dementia or any of the other things. So to me, being able to play the piano means a lot uh, to me physically and mentally. Uh, might be some people that would query the mental part of it, but anyhow, that's so, up to them. Do you mind sharing um, your age and how long you've been playing the piano? Uh, I'll start from the beginning. I started playing piano when I was about five year old. We never had a piano in the house, but every time I went on school holidays, we were I was sent to relatives, and they either had pianos or the little pedal organs. I could only ever play one hand, the right hand. And uh, when I started work at 16, I decided that I'd like to learn to play the piano. and. So I started getting lessons, but I used to read the music for the first time, and then I had it in my mind then, and I could sit there with my eyes shut and play whatever it was. My tutor was usually cooking her family's evening meals. She'd be in the kitchen, and I'd be in the lounge, and she'd call out, tell me, do this, do that, do whatever. And this one day, when I finished doing what I, she told me to do, I sat with my hands in my lap and I'd had my eyes closed the whole time. And what I didn't know was she was standing right beside me and she said to me, how long have you been doing that? And I said, ever since I started. She said, you're wasting my time and your money. You'll never play the piano and walk back into the kitchen. So I went home. Uh, my younger sister had learned to play the piano and one Saturday, we had a piano at home at that time, and one Saturday afternoon, her and I were at home on our own, and I said to her, can you teach me a simple tune to play with both hands? And she taught me the Merry Widow Waltz. That was the first tune I ever played with both hands. Uh, so that would have been 16, 1956, and I'm now, I've just turned 81. So, uh, yeah. Very long history with the piano. And do you feel that when you play on the community piano that you're helping to bring other people joy? Definitely. Uh, the number of people, well, I'll be most surprised if, if people don't turn up here this afternoon and comment to me. Uh, and, and some of them go out of their way. They hear it down the corner here and they walk up here to tell me that, oh, it's nice to hear it again or I hear the piano being played or whatever. So, yeah, it, it does make a difference to the community. How long have you lived in the Bundaberg region? Uh, my wife and I came back here in 
1999, I came back to a permanent job that lasted 12 months and two days. <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, I'm originally from Mackay. My wife is a Bundaberg girl, so yeah, we live in Bundaberg. Yeah, fantastic. That's all for today. I hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Join me again next week for more news and stories from across the region. Bye for now.